0: Behind the Bite Podcast is part of a network of podcasts that are good for the world. Check out podcasts like The Full of Shift Podcast, After the First Marriage Podcast, and Eating Recovery Academy over at practiceofthepractice.com backslash network. Welcome to Behind the Bite Podcast. This podcast is about the real-life struggles women face with food, body image, and weight. We're here to help heal, inspire, and create better, healthier lives. Welcome. Well, hello everyone. You know, today I honestly find myself sitting here just, I'm unable to identify exactly what it is that I'm thinking and feeling because I guess I'm feeling a strong mix of shock, sadness, disbelief, disappointment, and anger, and I have a lot of thoughts, and it's almost to the point where I'm at a loss for words, in case you can't tell, and it's it's been for a few days now, and you may be wondering why on earth I'm in this state right now, and I'm going to tell you, it, a few short days ago, January 9th to be exact, uh, I received an alert on my phone about a news article that just came out about the American Academy of Pediatrics And they came out with new guidelines for treating childhood obesity. And that immediately caught my attention for several reasons. The main reason was the word obesity. And to my knowledge, that word obesity, it's not an illness. And it's certainly not something that needs to be treated. So I sat there wondering why on earth are there guidelines created to treat something that I don't know to be an illness? And I have to tell you, when I first started reading them, I thought they were a joke, or at least I was hoping they were, I guess, because I simply could not believe that anyone who's actually caring for and treating children and adolescents in this day and age would write this. It's long. And with each and every page I read, I grew more and more angry. I, I was reading this with absolute horror that these guidelines were now actually in existence there is no way I can go into all that these guidelines go into. I'm going to put a a link in the show notes so that you guys can access it yourself. Like I said, it's very long. It's very detailed, but I'm going to give you a very brief overview of what's in there. um, (laughs) And then we're going to get into this today for our podcast. You know, they state the BMI is the gold standard measurement of body composition, and it's to be used as a screening and diagnostic tool. And now if any of you Ever listened to any of my podcasts where I've discussed my views on the BMI, then you know that it is not a valid measurement tool by any stretch of the imagination. And I'm not even sure why it's still even in existence. But the most shocking thing of all is that these guidelines are for children starting at the age of two. And they re- include recommendations for medications and bariatric surgery for the first time. Yes, bariatric surgery. Okay, so as I said, my head right now is spinning, and what I really want to do is help all of you gain more of an understanding about these guidelines and have a discussion about what the potential and negative dangers are for what these guidelines really mean. You know, there are so many scary implications about what can happen once they're implemented. So, you know, as you can tell, I'm really at a loss of words. I'm struggling to get my words out. So I cannot think of a better guest to have with me here today to do just that. So we have an amazing guest, Shavise Turner. And for any of you who do not know who she is, she really is amazing. As CEO of the Body Equity Alliance, she leads their efforts to engage with corporate partners in advocacy and serve as advisors on public policy, education, marketing, and communications related to eating disorders, weight stigma, and weight discrimination and health equity. Their mission is to address this injustice in all aspects of society. So individuals of all sizes can enjoy the attention, care, dignity, respect, and rights they deserve as human beings. Chavis's dedication to public health began when she ran part of a team working to ensure cancer patients had ongoing access to critical treatments. She was driven by her own struggles in recovery and founded the Binge Eating Disorder Association, BETA, to address the unmet needs of people with the most prevalent eating disorder. And after 10 years of pioneering work, BETA merged with the National Eating Disorders Association, (NEDA) in 2018 after noteworthy milestones that included working to add binge eating disorder to the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual's fifth edition, developing National Awareness Week addressing weight stigma and intersecting oppressions, creating industry-leading educational programming, and public policy work at the state and national levels. Chavis has a dedication to healthcare as a human right. This has all prepared her to help clients make important shifts in their own work. All right, Chavis, thank you so much for being here. Uh, wow, we, we're going to get into this. Um, so these new guidelines. I know, yeah. we, I know we, we've been chatting a little bit before we hit record, and I think both our heads are spinning a bit, but um, where are you at with all this? Well, first, thanks for having me, and, um,
1: oh boy, as a person who has uh, really, you know, undergone some medical trauma as as a child, mm-hmm. when I was dieted and, and put on um, weight loss drugs by pediatricians, and, you know, the right through to, to adulthood, this has me reeling, you know, I really am. I'm concerned about the children who are in a place where they are going to be offered, you know, weight loss drugs that are drugs that were developed for diabetes um, and bariatric surgeries, and uh, who knows what else. Um, You know, weight management is not without its risks. And uh, these products and these surgeries are not without their risks. And I'm not sure that consent is actually going to be um, realistic in these situations. And what I mean by that is that parents are going to receive consent statements that say this does not guarantee long-term weight loss. It does not guarantee um, no risk of serious adverse events or even death. And I think those are are things that we really need to think about, and parents need to think about. What are the risks? And do you really want your child to be put on a medication that is going to affect metabolism and Hormones and brain health before they even reach their teenage years. You know, not to mention what bariatric surgery does. Um, I call it stomach amputation, but um, that's not the medical term. So yeah, I'm I'm very concerned.
0: You know, just as you were talking, I'm thinking. I wonder what the message parents are going to actually get, because, you know, I was reading the guidelines and it seems like the parents are going to be getting this message, like, almost like if you don't do something about this, you're a bad parent. Like I would feel that way as a parent, if I got this message, I think based on what the guidelines are saying, it's like, your kids can be at risk for bullying and, you know, having chronic illnesses that are going to really affect their lives in a negative way. And like, they, they, like kind of all these horrendous things, right. Which, you know, I'm thinking any person on this planet is subjected to these things. Why are they saying it's because of weight? It's really horrible that they're just pinpointing it to this one thing. And then they're going to go to parents who of course love their children and go, oh my God, I would do anything to make sure they're healthy and happy. And if I can prevent any negative effects in their life, of course, I'm going to do this. And the doctor's saying it. So yeah, what if I say no to Drugs. What if I say no to bariatric surgery, right? And it, you know, would I blame myself as a parent because I didn't follow these protocols? Like, that's horrible.
1: I agree, and I absolutely incur that parents are going to feel guilty. Um, just thinking about, you know, my parents used to say to me, "We just we love you so much, and we don't want you to to be." bullied and harassed and, you know, made fun of. And my mother experienced that when she was a child. And so I knew it came from a place of, of love, actually. But really what it is, is is weight bias and, and weight stigma. Right. And those guidelines are actually right that um, fat kids will experience those things. Um, as a former fat kid, I can tell you that it's is very real. And we don't, you know, <laughs> I mean, would we, what would we do to kids who experience other oppressions? We can't change body color. Um, we can't change, you know, if someone expresses their gender in a certain way, that is the gender they are. We can't just change that. Um, you know, there, there was conversion therapy that was done at the time um, to try to, to change people who thought um, or, you know, identified as LGBTQ. And that's not possible. Um, we can change weight, but only with really terrible, difficult behaviors and drugs and surgeries that are really, really harmful. Um, And usually, um, you know, the outcome is something very negative, including the risk of eating disorders, which have the highest mortality rate, second only to opioids within the the mental health uh, area. So yeah, this is really dangerous, I and mean, we need to work simultaneously on helping kids who are fat live lives free from bullying. And that that is that comes down to us. We have to change the way that our culture sees fatness and approaches it, and we have to provide them. Um, a way to live free from oppression. Um, you know, this is, and when you think about the kids who are um, black and fat, or have even more oppressions, they're targeted even more. Even though these guidelines talk about, you know, racism and and homophobia, uh, you know, and other oppressions, they're they're not considering that at the foundation of weight stigma is actually racism. You know, weight weight biases are built on racism. And you know, we could go on for hours just about that. Um, but there's some really good uh books out there that address this and research and so forth. So I'm not just pulling something out of thin air. Um but yeah this is terrible for kids and for parents.
0: Yeah that's that's a big topic and we could go off on like a full tangent on that. Um, but if anyone listening is kind of going like, "What is there a book I can read to kind of understand that more? Do you have one I could kind of put in the show notes? Yes,
1: definitely. Uh, Dr. Sabrina Strings has written a fabulous book and I'll, I'll give you the, the title and the information to put in the show. Notes.
0: Great. Thank you. Um, but I agree with you. I, I, you know, I was reading the guidelines and, and, thinking about all of this. And to your point too, it's like, this is a cultural, like societal issue too. It's like, we're, you know, diet culture and we stigmatize and demonize people who don't conform to this ideal. And we're saying, well, because you don't, you know, something is wrong with you. And now they've created this chronic illness that I don't know, but I've been doing this like 25 years. I have never in my life ever put a diagnostic, like I've never put as a diagnosis obesity ever. And, and now in the guidelines, they're saying psychologists need to be treating this as well, along as part of the treatment team. And I'm going, what am I treating? First of all, I don't know this is an illness. And I've never seen a treatment protocol for this. I'm sorry, I'm thinking it's a made up illness, but like, what am I treating and how am I going to treat this? Somebody comes to my office says, I was referred by my MD, my pediatrician you need to help me and you need to treat this, I'd be like, Dear in headlights, I, what would you do?
1: <laughs> well, I think what psychologists and, you know, any any therapist trained um, to help people, um, you know, it, whether it's a, a, a mental health illness or just, you know, um, navigating daily life, the treatment here is the chronic trauma of, weight biases (laughs) that's what we need to be treating Um, and you know I'm not one to say that there aren't there aren't um, things that go on in the human body that could be related to um, fat cells Um, I have some of those you know diseases that are related to fat cells. Um, whether they actually are or not, I have no idea. Um, there's a lot of correlation, but you don't actually see causation. Um, but there are treatments for those things. And it's quite different to put a 40-year-old person on some, you know, blood pressure medication or even a diabetic drug than putting a young person, a child or an adolescent, on a drug that is going to affect hormones and metabolism long before any disease state shows up. So I know that, you know, the AAP's thoughts are, you know, we want to prevent any of these disease states. And, you know, I think prevention is always a good thing. But we, not everyone who is fat has these, you know, cause or I guess correlated disorders and diseases. And so how do we know which person will or won't? Um, And how do we know that it is definitely related to fat cells? Um, You know, the AMA, their own committee did not want obesity to be, Labeled as a chronic disease, um, but you know the the lore of medications and treatments is there for medical societies, and it's how they're funded. It's very difficult to fund nonprofits and and medical societies, and so they really depend on pharma and other medical related companies.
0: Yeah, let's let's get into that for a second because. <laughs> Another big topic, right? You know, I was reading that too. And it's like saying this chronic illness is going to potentially cause other chronic illnesses. And I'm going, wait a minute, hold on. Because oh, when I think about, say, let's take diabetes, for instance, right? Because they were saying, if you don't lose weight, right? If you don't go into lower BMI category, which I want to get into later, um, you might have diabetes, right? You might get diabetes later. Okay. When someone says to me, I have diabetes, I think, all right, if you don't manage this and get this under control, I know what might happen. You might have neuropathy, you might go blind, right? All these things. Mm-hmm. Same with other illnesses, right? If you have hypertension, you might be prone to strokes, heart attacks, right? There might be some things, right? So it's like, what do you do to prevent those outcomes? Obesity, I'm going, what, 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 what is going on? What are we treating? What are we trying to prevent? Other. Uh-huh. They're saying cr- all these chronic illnesses may happen, but I've never seen weight loss as part of any treatment plan. I've never seen weight loss cure or <laughs> prevent any, anything. Like I, I don't see anything. And to your point, I've had plenty of patients in all sizes of bodies and all BMI categories who've had diabetes, who've had hypertension, who've had all chronic illnesses, and weight loss or weight gain did not affect the outcome of whatever happened and so that's what kills me is like what is why is weight a criteria why are they saying if you lose weight that's going to make this illness happen or not or the outcome better or worse i i'm, I'm just well, shaking my head yeah not to
1: mention the the risk that does come with weight loss you know there there are many risks and i i think that it's not common that someone would think that weight loss comes with risks but it does because it's the method of how we of how we approach weight loss and the fact that we know that a very high percentage of of people regain their weight after or you know within five years and the people that don't You know, there are things going on there and there is a suggestion that perhaps even eating disorder behaviors are at play in in some people who are able to keep weight loss after they, uh, keep weight off after they have lost weight. Um, So weight science is very, very young and there's a lot that we don't understand. And I just keep going back to the, you know, the outcomes of this pursuit of weight and what it means not only to the body when you are cycling, you know, up and down, up and down. And we know from anorexia that there's a lot of strain put on the heart when there are behaviors and, and great amounts of of weight loss. And it doesn't appear that there's been any sort of consideration. Um for that, you know, why is it, why is it that the heart responds to weight loss in one way in anorexia, um, but we don't think that happens when we start at a higher weight. So these are all theories, but we we never look at, you know, the things that are going to um, actually tell us more about what we're recommending. You know, we don't look at the harms of, of weight loss and um, the long-term effects of that, even though it's staring us straight in the eye. I mean, so many of us have, have these experiences and how does that contribute to, to this later in life? Um, you know, so there's just so many questions and so many um, problems.
0: Well, to your point too, right? These experiences, right? They're in the guidelines you're talking about, you know, Adverse childhood experiences and how those can contribute to all sorts of problems, right? And I'm thinking, oh, over the years, how many patients, even myself included, have heard very traumatic messages from going to the doctor, and how that affected self-esteem, body image, wanting to change your body, led to like contributed to factors of like later having eating disorders and things, and you know, I don't know. Okay, let me just read this because this actually, like, I don't think this wording is any better, right? They said, sure. you know, say children with obesity or adolescents with overweight instead of saying obese children or overweight adolescents. I'm sorry. What? Like, they're saying that's that's a better way to communicate and that's less stigmatizing and less harmful. What, I'm, what do you think?
1: Um,
0: yeah,
1: I so it's, it's person first language. Um, and I think that they are, I, I think that the oppressors are, you know, asking the oppressed to get on board with their language. And they've tried to soften things because Essentially, in my opinion, I think they knew they had a PR problem, <laughs> um, and so it was important to come up with language that was softer and more palatable to people, and it fits into their chronic disease, um, you know, point of view around this, um, but it's, it's not helpful. It, you know, it doesn't change anything. It doesn't change when a child sitting in front of a doctor and they say, oh, you're a child with obesity. And the word obesity is so stigmatizing. And I can only imagine how that feels to a child now. Um, and mom and dad, your child has obesity. And with that comes the implicit, you know, blame. Um, that we hear so much about, and basically we're giving you tools now to further oppress your child and to, you know, run around after them and and say you have this disease. You're, you know, I don't want you to die. It just it takes the anxiety up so many levels, and you know I'm aware that some people listening to this are going to say, what in the world is she talking about? How, you know, okay, this is this is way too much. Um, I know from lived experience and, you know, the language of, of oppression is, you know, it comes from the fact that, that people are biased and that weight is something that is... Um, you know, back to what we were talking about, bullying and harassment and so forth. People are really harmed and language does harm. Um and you know, people with obesity, while it may be a little bit softer, um, it's still the same thing. It's still naming is something um that most people are just horrified by
0: yeah, I, I... I can't see this going well and a child coming out unscathed emotionally from an appointment like that or constantly going and knowing like, okay, from this point forward, I have to eat differently. I have to live a life differently because something is wrong with me. Right.
1: Exactly. And how does that feel next to their, their thin friends, you know, who they may have had just such a great time playing with and engaging in activities and now they're thinking, oh, I have a disease mm-hmm. and I'm different from them. And you can see it on the outside that I'm different. Mm-hmm. Instead of, you know, my body is just as good as your body. It's not disease. And, you know, they're, I don't want to take away from the fact that there is an intersection of disabilities and higher weight for children, adolescents, and adults, and that um, there are plenty of people who are dealing with, you know, actual diseases in their their lives. Um, I I don't want to take away from that and make it sound like disease is a horrible thing. I have I have hidden diseases, and I don't think of myself as a horrible person. Um, but we know the connotation of obesity in the culture and what it means. And to make it a disease state it is, you know, when there aren't disease processes in your in, in child, um, the same as an adult, most often. I, I
0: just really think that we're setting kids up for a lot of psychological issues. Right. And to your point, if that child say that you're talking about this fictional child, um, you know, this very young, they're starting at age two and above, right? Right. Oh, yeah. oh. Anyway, I mm-hmm. mean, uh, you know, if they're thinking this about themselves and so they're going about life and they have no actual like chronic illness at that point, right? They're just told okay. Okay, your body is in this BMI category we've deemed as diseased, right? You're different in their mind. And they're, let's say all their labs, everything's normal. Everything's fine, which most likely it will be right. But they're going about like, Oh, something is actually wrong with my body. Now, to your point, you're going to get potentially pumped with a drug that. Like the, the guidelines don't say what's drugs, but I mean, we can go a little bit and think about what they might be. Right. Or to the other extreme bariatric surgery, let's say they actually go forth, you know, let's say this person's body is just genetically predispositioned to be the way it is. And it's it's just not societally acceptable. And the doctors are still like, sorry, it's, you're still in this category, nothing quote unquote is working. This is what we need to do next. I mean, you you mentioned this before. How's this going to affect brain development, puberty, hormones, like nutrition? I mean, what's going to happen? (laughs)
1: So many things, and and you know, humans prefrontal cortex is not are not developed until they're in their mid twenties. Mm -hmm. They can't make decisions about these things for themselves in a way that is or that could be expected, and their parents as we were talking about before are going to be making the decisions for them um, being pressured and I'm i on lots of chat boards and various groups and social media groups um, where fat people are telling their story from childhood and adolescence and adulthood as well And, you know, they're being shamed. They're going to the doctor and being told at every appointment that they should have bariatric surgery or that they should go on one of these drugs. It's It's not being presented in a balanced way. It's being presented as, you are going to die. And, you know, that's not fair. There, There is another way. I mean, I... I do not diet, I will never diet again. And I had a doctor who is a weight inclusive doctor who never weighs, never um pressures me to lose weight, and my end- endocrinologist as well. Um and you know, I do have some some disease processes going on in my body. And I'm doing great. <laughs> I'm a 54 year old woman who's living life you know and um I, I I know that everyone is different and there are different situations for for different people but to you know to, to put these types of um drugs and, and and you know very invasive surgeries into the childhood realm is is just really what are we thinking and very,
0: Far better in my own mind. Well, I mean, going down the the potential drugs we think might be prescribed here, right? I mean, one that one that's newly added to the uh, eating disorder world here, right? Um, diabetes drug Ozempic. I mean, what happened there, Shaviz? <laughs> yeah, and, and I will say full
1: disclosure here. Um, the drug category are GL1 agonists, and I am on one of those products for diabetes. Um, and it has been a really, it, both really great and very difficult mm. because the side effects, the adverse events are not minimal. Mm. Um, the way that these drugs act cause a lot of gastric distress, upset stomach, nausea, vomiting. Mm. I mean, it's a it's a lot to pay for treatment in terms of the side of that. Um, and, to, you know, putting the child on that type of, of product, do we even know that the dosages are safe for children? Now, I expect that the The FDA uh, would have looked at that. I hope so. Um, I haven't seen anything that indicates the children would get a lower dose. Um, And I'm on a very, very low dose and had significant side effects. So I can only imagine how a child is going to feel. And what is that going to do to their concentration in school? Mm. So, you know, just being preoccupied with your body, we know this for from eating disorders, being preoccupied with your, your body, its size and how it looks, makes your brain focus on your body. And it's the same with food. If you're restricting, if you're always hungry, then your brain compensates by over-concentration <laughs> on food. And anybody who's ever been on a diet knows that to be true. So, you know, with these drugs comes appetite suppression, but so, you, so there's that part, but you still have the concern around body and so forth and the same thing happening. You know, I remember sitting in class thinking about what my classmates thought about my body and being so preoccupied with that or the fear of the upcoming gym class and what that meant for my body, um, that I couldn't focus on my study or what was happening in the classroom. And there is research supporting that. Um, There is research showing that um, when children are restricted and they're in the throes of eating disorders and they have body, Dissatisfaction that their ability to concentrate on their studies is very, very low. So, this is something that parents have to consider. And again, back to that consent, is the consent being given, making parents aware of that? Because that will affect their whole lives. We know the focus on grades and the anxiety around grades for parents and children. Um, This is a whole other
0: levels of anxiety that we're now having right oh yeah nobody's even brought up like how it's gonna affect like all what you just said like how are they focusing how are they functioning in their day-to-day how are they doing academically oh my it's a lot it's like i said my head spins you go down the different rabbit hole of every different aspect and it's like there's so much to this like i don't even know how uh, it scares me to think of all the negative implications and where this is going to end up I ugh. yeah
1: and I think it's also important and I think that mostly from the eating disorders community because I don't see other other communities other fields being very concerned so I think most of the concern is coming from us because we are the front lines of of what happens um when this type of thing is going on in children. And um, I think it's up to us to also educate parents and let them know that you are not a bad parent if you don't follow your doctor, your pediatrician's orders and have your child get surgery or go on one of these drugs. There are other ways and there are clinicians out there who are experienced in helping um so if you're concerned about your child's weight if you're concerned about their eating habits if you're concerned about um you know their mental health in any way um you know i'm sure you can provide some resources to to people in the show notes and i'm happy to help with that um you know there are people out there that can help and there are other ways and I know that that treatment is not available to everybody because it does cost, cost a good deal of money to go to therapy, to see a nutritionist, and these things are not well covered by insurance. And then there is the, the fact that the more oppressions you experience, if you're a black, um, you know, child who identifies as gay, you're you know, much less likely to even have insurance. Um, So these things are, there are real life consequences and there are other ways. And I hope that people will look for them and explore or at least get educated to the extent that they can before they agree to allow their child to, put through these things and to ask the difficult questions to ask, you know, before you give consent, what is the likelihood that my child will uh, regain the weight? What is the likelihood that this drug will cause, um, you know, further problems down the road? Um, Insulin resistance, we don't, you know, if you're giving a, a drug that is meant for diabetes, you know, I don't know. I haven't seen any studies, but is there, is there a a chance that this could to further influence? That sort of makes sense. Um, so yeah, ask, ask the hard questions.
0: Yeah. And I think that's going down that line. Let's say somebody does go on one of these medications meant for diabetes when the child doesn't have diabetes, like Ozempic, because it is being used for weight loss. And then okay, they've lost the weight. Let's say that even happens and then they go off of the medication now because they don't have diabetes. They've reached their quote unquote goal. I mean, you and I both know there's articles out there, people who've gone off of it and the weight is coming back, right? So Mm -hmm. what then? And the companies have said
1: these are drugs for a lifetime. Mm -hmm. So can you imagine starting an injectable drug at age five, and I realize there are diabetic kids type one out there um, and possibly some type twos who are, you know, having to do so. But kids with no disease processes, processes having to give themselves or their parents give them shots for the rest of their lives, and we don't know in the long term. These drugs have been out for a minute you know and the phase three studies phase three is not that long when you're looking for long-term side effects and adverse events um so it's only in phase four which is the marketing phase uh where you know people and physicians and like people start reporting their adverse events um so you know drugs that are are on the market really we don't know. It's the long term that tells us. And for children, you know, this is probably the start of another weight or a weight cycle for them, which we know most people when they weight cycle will lose weight, gain it back. And research shows that oftentimes they gain 20% more than what they lost. So okay. we actually get fatter over time as we diet.
0: Right. It's setting them up for a life long of who knows what. I mean, again, to the point, we have no idea what implications this is all have, but it's not, doesn't not sound good. Yeah. Any of it, you know, and, and again, like I, it's so long, right. But I think every page made my head spin, you know, even like there's something about part of it is, you know, having them eat healthy foods. And I'm, I mean, there's a whole thing on that and, you know, as an eating disorder person, like, I'm trying to help people get rid of like labeling food as healthy, unhealthy. And here they are promoting like, you know, categorizing foods. And I'm going, oh, that alone is like, what is happening? What? And we don't even know what healthy food is. Yeah.
1: I mean, really, we don't. There are government guidelines that change. That, you know, there's a lot of concern about processed and ultra processed foods and you know, but in reality, nobody can tell us what it's healthy. Um, you know, I think there's there's some research to support, of course, vegetables and fruits and, and so forth, but it does vary also according or uh, you know, depending on the person. And there there is no guideline that tells us definitively these are the healthy foods. And if you tell me, well, eating clean what is eating clean? You know, and people tell people always say well, paleo is eating clean, and then my thought about that is people during that time, you know, the, the paleo, um, I guess I, I can't think of the, the word, um, but but that that time in history lived to be creatures, right. You know they had appendix and their appendix were there because they ate food that had rocks and sticks and all kinds of things in them. Um And the appendix had way to a out. I mean, you know, come on. I, and I understand that, I, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be a little bit silly, but um we just don't know. It's the bottom line.
0: No. And, I don't know. My my take on it is anybody who tries to really be so quote unquote good and like follow a meal plan, like that's not you know, eating disorder treatment, but like really just be strict with their foods and say, I can't have these and I can only have this, that's setting somebody up too for having disordered eating or an eating disorder later on and not having a relationship with food where, you know, they they can just it's, it's healthy, I mean, emotionally healthy, because then it's yeah. like whatever you tell yourself you can't have, that's what happens. <laughs> then you want it more. And then you have Absolutely. a very, then you come see somebody like me or you and work on how to have a relationship where food is not emotionally tied. And that's a whole nother problem. Yes,
1: and I, I think that is, it's so important and yet it gets to be wished by the quote unquote, producing. um, they partly don't understand it, and for those who do, um, they say, Yeah, but you know, even healthy, that, that, that. Um, but it is really true because our brains, um, you know, as, as a child, I was limited and restricted all the time, and you know, candy was bad. Jam was bad. Anything with sugar was bad. And the only whole grains were good and, and that sort of thing. And so I was always sneaking food. And I started bing when I was five. I would sneak food wherever I went at my grandparents' house. And you know, we would visit somebody's house and I would sneak food take it home with me when I got older. I would go to the grocery store with my mom and have my own money and you know, buy food and sneak it out to the car while she wasn't, you know, I I would go off on my own. Uh, my brother and I did that and, and everyone would say, Oh, you know, um, she she loves candy, you know, she addicted candy, she's sneaking food. I was hungry. <laughs> right. I was hungry. And the things that I was being denied are things that everybody loves most everybody. You know, and if you're not allowed to have one, our brains go, oh, man, I really want that. You know, and then you try to get as much as you can where you have access to it. So it really is important. Good in, putting in good habits on your really does affect how people have a relationship with food.
0: I mean, really, we could probably talk all day on that. We <laughs> could. Yeah. <So> <laughs> You know, and I appreciate that you're going to help um, with the show notes, adding some useful and helpful links for people, because I agree with you. I think people aren't being vocal enough. I know these guidelines just came out like recently, so maybe it's not out enough to the public. And I think the more people are vocal and getting the word out and d- really discussing like what like the underbelly of all this could be and what people might be hearing as parents in the pediatrician's office and really informing them of like you said um their choices or there's alternatives to this um i think that's great i think people need to be informed and aware so i really appreciate you being on here and talking more about this and i know you're out there like writing away and like you know discussing this stuff in the world so thank you for doing that as well we need more of you <laughs> i hope that many more will do so
1: um yeah, one day at a time we'll do what we can. All
0: right, any last final words before we end?
1: No, I think we've covered a lot and I just hope that everyone will take the opportunity to really think about it and and you know, do what's right for children including
0: professionals. Thank you so much. Thank you.